Welcome to Waters Church once more. My name is Tim if you're here for the first time and I hope it's not the last time. Hope you make this your home church. Experience the Lord Jesus and the love of God with us together. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. So if you got your bulletins, take them out. Bulletins look like this. Inside the bulletin is a note page. Open that up and uh, fill in the blanks with us. Follow along. We love to see people engaging with the Word of God in a deeper level. I want to think, I want to just say one thing about uh, last weekend. Last weekend was a tremendous success for both of our new campuses in Woonsocket and Milford. We had five people come to Christ between the two locations. Five people came to Christ. Some amazing, miraculous things also happened, which stories you'll hear someday soon. Uh, I'm just really encouraged by the work that has gone in, and they're just They've, they've done the big thing now. They've opened. Now it's settle in and be faithful for the long haul. And uh, that's what they're going to do from this point forward. So as much as we built up to the launch, I don't want us to like forget about them in our prayer time and in our spiritual support and then also in our financial support. Last week I told you we were $85,000 about. 85000 short of where we needed to be to be comfortably financially with these campuses. We don't want to put them uh, under a burden of financial stress. Some of you have already stepped up to give toward that. Thank you so much. Some of you are still thinking about it, praying about it. We understand that. If you can do that as soon as possible, it will really help us see the gospel take root in those two towns. We need Jesus to make, in, to, to make a difference in the lives of people in New England. Can I get a good amen? It's about bringing Jesus. It's not about growing Waters Church. It's about bringing the name of Jesus into those towns. And we believe that in the near future, we're going to see two, no, two locations that have their own homes and their own buildings and meeting spaces. God is good. So Ruth chapter 1. Let's get into the text this morning. Uh, we are going to do a series of messages through this book in the Bible uh, the book of Ruth, here's how you find it if you're looking for the book of Ruth on your Bible or your smartphone app, however you do, you, uh, the Bible here at Waters Church, uh, the, the books of the Bible go like this, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, and then the next three books go like this, Joshua judges Ruth. I don't know why Joshua judges her, but he judges her. Okay, that was a stupid old preacher joke, nonetheless. Would you stand with me as we read from the very first chapter? We're going to do a little skipping around. We'll come back to some verses during the message. Here's what the uh, word says in Ruth chapter 1, verse 1, reading together with me the word of the Lord. Here's what it says. In the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. There was a famine in the land. Everybody say that with me on the count of three. One, two, three. There was a famine in the land. And a man of Bethlehem in Judah went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of the wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in Judah, and they went into the country of Moab and remained there. But Elimelech, the husband of Naomi, died, and she was left with her two sons. These two, Moabite uh, these two took Moabite wives. The name of one was Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. And the name of the other was Ruth. They lived there about 10 years. And then Malon and Chilion died. So the woman, Naomi, was left without her two sons and without her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard 
that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she sent out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt kindly with the dead and with me. Skipping all the way down now to verse 15. She has this little back and forth with the girls. Orpah decides to go back. Ruth doesn't. And verse 15, And Naomi said to Ruth, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return, therefore, after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, and you've probably heard these words in a wedding ceremony, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God my God. Now we stop there at the wedding ceremony, but it continues and she says, Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. May the Lord do to me so, so to me, and more also, if anything but death separates me from you. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? And she said to them, don't call me Naomi. Naomi's name means pleasantness. She says, don't call me pleasantness. Call me Mara. Mara means bitterness. For the Lord Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full. The Lord brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is the reading of God's word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask that this moment be sanctified by the Holy Spirit and the truth of your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. May we hear what you want us to hear, see what you want us to see, know what you want us to know, and then do what you want us to do. Help us to see Jesus and him only, and in his mighty name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a seat. The book of Ruth is a little book in the Old Testament. It's kind of hard to find if you got a paper Bible. That's why I guided you to the book through the books from the beginning. The book of Ruth is a little book about little people in a little town called Bethlehem, a town that until this moment was pretty much unheard of. We now know Bethlehem is the birthplace of somebody very significant, Jesus Christ. But before it was the birthplace of Jesus Christ, it was the home of a family of people headed by Elimelech, Wife Naomi and their two sons, Malon and Chilion. But actually, this town had sadness in the time of Ruth. And in this little town of Bethlehem, in this little book filled with little characters, we are going to learn through this series that there are some little things that can do great things in our lives. In fact, that's the series theme. The series theme, if you're taking notes, write it down is looking at the little things that can loom large over the long haul. How many know your pastor loves alliteration? Yes. I got as many L words into that sentence as possible. Looking at the little things that can loom large over the long haul. And we're going to look at little things in the book of Ruth, little things that Ruth does and the other characters do that actually lead to largeness of life. Let me start by saying in this message series, please do not despise your little. Don't despise little things. 
Don't despise little starts, little beginnings. So often it is so tempting to see our lives as very small. Maybe our families are very small. Maybe our significance is very small. You start a business, it starts small. You start a church, it starts small. We're starting two new churches. We understand this again. Like we kind of got lost in the largeness of this church. What it's like to start something. But I've learned something from God's word. Everything that God does, he starts small. Everything that God does, he starts small. The universe started with a small bang. God said, let there be light. Bang. There it was. It wasn't a big bang. It was a small bang. And the universe is still expanding until this day. The universe is larger than ever before, but it started very small. That's how God works. He starts small, and he expands, and he grows, and he prospers, and he blesses. This church started small. This church started with 20 people. 15, almost 15 years ago. We're coming up on our 15th anniversary. Isn't that cool? 2018 is our 15th year to the glory of God. And uh, we got a great outreach uh, idea to celebrate 15 years of ministry in, in uh, North Attleboro. Very excited. We're going to let you about, know about that in January. But anyway, uh, we started small. 20 people, 20 kids in a little basement over there in Fisher College, and I remember how small it felt. I remember the ceilings, if you were there with us, you remember the, the ceilings were about this high, and you stood on the stage, and I couldn't even raise my hands. You know, it was like literally raise the roof, like right through the ceiling tiles, and that's how it was in our little beginnings at Fisher College. How many know it's so nice to have these nice high ceilings now? I can raise my hands way up, high, 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 high. Don't despise your little. Don't despise your little, your little life, your little influence, your little business, your little whatever. You got, you got something that's going to be large if you give it to God. I love this passage from Zechariah chapter 4, verse 10. This is a passage that got me through many, many seasons of Waters Church as we began. It says this, do not despise these, what? Small, begin these little beginnings. Don't despise little, God says. Don't despise small. Why? Because the Lord, I love it, look at this, rejoices to see the work begin. When we were small and we looked so insignificant, we had to continually remind ourselves that heaven was rejoicing that a gospel-preaching church was taking root in the town of North Attleboro. How many of you are glad that we started 15 years ago? I mean, you... You clap and you celebrate, and I do with you, but there were times, friends, when I was like, what are we doing? This is ridiculous. Wanted to quit. Wanted to give up. And the Lord gave me that verse and said, don't despise little. We used to sing a song in the church back in the day. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. It is, there's a crown, and you can win it if you go. In Jesus' name. Come on, some of those little old songs from the old school gospel singing are so powerful. Little as much when God is in it. And throughout this series, we're going to look at the little things. You might not remember this, but you started very little. Like, how did you begin? Nobody showed up five foot ten. Am I talking to anybody, right? You started little. And I'm talking about before you were even born. You were littler than you were when you were born. How about before you were conceived, you were very little, and you and a million others of things just like you set out 
in a race to win the prize. Remember this? You don't remember, do you? I'm reminding you. If you graduated fifth grade, you know what I'm talking about. You and a million others, you fought through that little canal all the way to get there. And, and look at you. You told all those other millions of members of that race, get out of my way. This puppy is mine. I'm coming through. And you won, didn't you? You, you little, you, you. You won the race, look at you, and now today, look at how big you are, congratulations. You are one in a million. Is anybody feeling uncomfortable yet? <laughs> Don't despise little. And in this series, we're looking at some little things. Now, the thing, the thing that you have to understand is that this series, we're gonna look at the little things, but it's kind of the things that aren't little in God's view, but they kind of get belittled in our world's view. And the first thing we're going to look at is loyalty. Somebody say loyalty. Uh, the title of the message is Loyalty Can Go a Long Way. Our country, our context, our culture doesn't really give much weight to loyalty. It's kind of a disloyal generation. We're not really connected like we used to be, and, or maybe we never were all that connected. I don't know. We don't really put a high value on, if something is better for us, somewhere else we'll go there. If we, have, if we can find better friends than our current friends, sometimes we'll just cut off and go there. If our marriage isn't what we want it to be, we'll just divorce and go find somebody else. If our business isn't treating us the way we think we should be treated, we'll just quit and go find another job. Even in the church, even in the church, it happens. And I see it. People jet from church to church. They come to us. They go from us. They go where the grass is greener, looking for the best option for them. And, and in all of our quest for the good life, we have lost something that's godly. And the thing that we're losing is loyalty. And how many know that there is nothing you can find more significant and more valuable in your life than a loyal friend? Somebody who will stay with you through the ups and the downs and the, and the trials of your life. Loyalty. Oh, boy, it is, it is valuable. When you get loyalty from somebody, I mean, it just makes your day. It empowers you. I thank God through the good seasons of Waters Church, North Attleboro, and I thank God through the bad seasons of Waters Church, North Attleboro, that there were a few loyal people that no matter what trouble we went through, I would turn around behind me, and there they were cheering me on, saying, yes, we can do it. Let's keep going. Don't worry. Don't get the discouraged pastor. I thank God for those people who were loyal to me through my dark places. And if I was to ask each one of you, you would say the same thing about your own personal life. It was the people who stuck with you when the chips were down that mean the most to you. You can't put a, a, a money, a, a price on, on loyalty. In our culture, we chase large living, large lives, significance, popularity, fame, friends, followers, celebrity. We chase these things at the expense of loyalty. How many of you know a girl named Stephanie Germanata? Stephanie Germanata was a young girl raised in Manhattan. She has become a pop culture icon by the name of Lady Gaga. She set out to change the world. She has millions of followers. We all know what she looks like. This is Lady Gaga here up on the screen. A Netflix special just came out about her life, five foot two it's called. 
And one stunning scene in the Netflix special, she says these following words to one of her handlers named Brandon. She says, I'm all alone, Brandon, every night. And all these people will leave, right? They will leave and then I'll be alone. And I go from everyone touching me all day and talking at me all day to total silence. Is it an amazing, a woman that has worshipped the world over, what is she looking for? She's looking for a little loyalty. You can't put a price on a loyal friend. You know what happens here in the book of Ruth? We see in the first chapter the value of a loyal friend. The story opens with a famine. I had you say famine in the land for a reason, because famine to us is just, you know, it's just, it just happens. Famines happen. What can you do? But not to Israel. No, 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 no. Famines for Israel were a sign that something was wrong with the nation spiritually. God had told there that his people in Deuteronomy, he said, listen, if you are with me as I am with you, I'm going to bless you. You're going to lend to many nations. You're going to borrow from none. I'll bless your going in and your coming out. I'll bless everything that you put your hand to. I will make your nation flourish as you stay loyal to me. But they didn't. They didn't stay loyal. And God also had a other side of this covenant with his people. He said, look, if you leave me, it's not going to go well for you. If you chase after other gods, I'm going to dry up your land. I'll send you famine. I'll send you plague. I'll send you disease. I'll cause bad things to happen to you so that you wake up and you get back right with me. And so when we read the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1, and we see that there is a famine in the land, we have to realize that in the context of the original hearers, it was a reminder that something was wrong spiritually in the hearts of that country. I think if we look at America right now, we can say the same thing in some respects. We got plenty of food, but how many know there's a spiritual famine in the land? We got plenty of stuff, plenty of technology, plenty of things to distract us, but there's a spiritual famine at work in the lives of men, women, and children in America today. We have horrible shooting just last week. Before that, we had hurricanes, another hurricane coming, wildfires in the West. We've got... Uh, uh, cultural and ethnic tension like never before, political infighting like never before, and loneliness is at an all-time high in America. In 1970, 11% of Americans said they were lonely. In 2010, 45% of Americans said they were lonely. We need more loyalty. And there's a famine in our land. There's a famine in Ruth's day, a famine in Elimelech and Naomi's day. And, and, and what, what you have to see in the passage, what you have to see in that first chapter is that Elimelech and Naomi, his wife, make every decision that they shouldn't make in response to the famine in the land. First, they decide to leave the land. That was not what they were supposed to do. They were supposed to actually get back to God. They didn't do that. They actually ran from God's land. They make the wrong choice. Then if you saw there... They went to the land of Moab. Moab was Israel's ancient nemesis. They were um, off limits to the Jews, to the Israel. They were not supposed to be intermingling with them. And Elimelech takes his wife and his sons to the land of Moab. Bad decision. And they're chasing the good life, and they're trying to find the good life, but they're not looking to God for life. And then I don't know if you notice this, but Elimelech dies in the land. And Naomi marries off her sons to Moabite women. This is a real problem. 
This is completely counter to what God told his people to do. They were not to intermingle with this nation, not at all. In fact, Moabites were not ever to be allowed into the assembly of the Lord. And yet Naomi, in her natural rationalization, thinks, well, let's just marry these boys off to some women, get some family going, and then we'll, we'll, make, it, we'll make it work with what we can. And so she's in a foreign land, and she's marrying her boys to foreign women. All bad decisions. Please understand the original context. Everything Elimelech and Naomi are doing is counter to what God wants them them to do. And then she hears that there's food back at home and uh, after her sons die, her sons die and she's left with her daughters-in-law. How many know sometimes we think we're doing the right thing, chasing the good life, and all we end up doing is getting more empty than we've ever been before? Her sons die and so she hears there's food back at home. She goes back home and in tow with her are her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And Ruth will not leave Naomi. This is an amazing thing. Naomi has this little conversation. She says, go back, go back. Trust me, you don't want to come here. They won't even accept you. You're foreigners, you're Moabites. We're not even supposed to be in connection with you. You got to go back. It'll be better for you. Don't follow me. Just go home. May the Lord deal kindly with you. You've dealt kindly with me. And, and Orpah finally is convinced, and she says, okay, fine, I'll go back. I guess you're right. And she turns, she goes back to Moab, but Ruth says these amazing words. In verse 16, right? Do not urge me to leave you. Where you go, I'll go. Where you lodge, I'll lodge. Where you die, I die. And where you're buried, I'm buried. The Lord, your God, will be my God. I mean, she's just so, here's what I want you to write down in your notes. Ruth chooses loyalty. Luth, Ruth chooses loyalty. A little loyalty can go a long way in your life. I wonder who needs loyalty right now in your world. I wonder who needs to be loyal to something you're thinking about being disloyal to right now in your life. Don't despise little. Don't despise your little marriage. Maybe I'm talking to somebody in this moment who you just got married and your, your, your marriage is like a little baby. You don't have babies yet. Your marriage is like a baby itself. It's just a little baby. How many know babies can be frustrating sometimes? Babies can be exhausting, yes? Babies can fuss, fight, cry, crap, <laughs> cause a ruckus, and you're constantly cleaning up your... Sometimes your marriage is like that. Come on, somebody. When it's young and you're just starting to learn, that's what you're really like? Your mother didn't tell me anything about this. And we can get married, we can start to, we can start to think, well, maybe it's time to check out here. Maybe I made a horrible decision. Or maybe you start a business and you're like, I gotta, this is not working, get out. Or you're out of business, get out. Or you're starting a new venture in life and you're just like, get out, you want to quit. I want to encourage you to choose loyalty. You never know what loyalty can do for you in the long run. God honors loyalty because here's the thing about God. He's loyal. If there's one thing about God, he's loyal. He refuses to give up on his people. We're here today, friends, we are here today because of a guy named Jesus who was loyal until the end and is still loyal to us today. And he is of the descendancy of Ruth herself. He picked up loyalty from his great-great-great-great-great-grandmother and he has been loyal to us as she was loyal to Naomi. Don't give up when the tough things start happening that are tough in your life. God honors loyalty because he's a loyal God. Can I get a good amen? Number, I want to give you three things about loyalty, and then we're done. Number one, loyalty carries a large price tag. 
the moment that you start trying to be loyal, it's going to cost you. Uh, this, this message series, this, this particular message has a lot to do, I think, with marriage. I mean, we quote from Ruth 1 at our wedding ceremonies often. Marriage will cost you. We have forgotten this. We have fallen for the cultural ideal of marriage. The cultural ideal of marriage is what's in it for me? How does this person make me feel? What can this marriage do for my life? I don't think that this marriage is making me happy. Okay, well, you obviously didn't pay attention when you were saying those vows about better or worse, sickness and health, till, till, say, till, yeah, death. What's marriage supposed to do? Marriage is supposed to kill you. That's why it's so painful sometimes. When you're not getting your way, when they're doing things that frustrate you, when you don't like how they, I don't know, fold their clothes, drink their coffee, slurp their tea. I don't know what it is for you, how they talk to you, how they wake up in the morning. I don't know what you hate about them or what you're not liking about that marriage that you're in, but marriage was never designed to make you happy. Marriage was designed to make you holy and to represent the gospel of Jesus Christ. He marries his church and never gives up on his bride. Your marriage is meant to kill you. Yes, embrace the death, friend. It's going to cost you to stay married. It's going to cost you to say no to everybody. See, when you say yes to that person at the altar, you're also saying no to everybody else. It's a price tag. I'm saying yes to you, and I don't even know what's going to become of us. This is, this is some of you, you refuse to get married because you are waiting for perfect conditions. I got news for you. Even if perfect conditions exist at the altar, get ready as you walk past the people in the audience that is going to start getting imperfect really fast. That's called life. You will never know what happens in that relationship. You will never know what's going to come down the road five years, ten years, fifty years. It's called loyalty. Stick it out. Be faithful. God honors it. It'll cost you. It'll cost you to be loyal at church. I'm always flabbergasted at the ways people walk out the doors of our church. I didn't like that music. I was offended by what the pastor said. I had a woman leave our church because I said a joke she didn't like. The joke lasted approximately 15 seconds. 15 seconds, and she harbored a grudge against our church for like 15, uh, for like five years. Finally came and confronted me about a joke that I told five years ago. It really hurt me. I'm like, I didn't know. I'm sorry. She's like, it's too late. I'm leaving. What? <laughs> five years? You waited to tell me this for five years? Over a joke? I mean, what are we doing? What is this? We are the church of Jesus Christ. When people look at us, they should see loyalty like no one else. Because we know the true loyal lover of our hearts is Jesus, and he's bounded himself to us. And so why can't we then lay down our lives, lay down our preferences, lay down what we like, and bond ourselves to one another so that when the world sees us, they see a people who truly love each other and lay down their lives for one another as Christ laid down his life for us. 
That's a testimony to our context right now that will go farther than smoke and lights and fancy preaching and cool bands when we're loyal, when we love one another, when we care for one another, and we stick with one another no matter what happens. I always say to people who don't like where our church is at a certain time, don't worry, we change. <laughs> That's the great thing about a church that changes constantly. You might not like something right now. It'll probably change in a little while. Give it time. Stick it out. Stay loyal. Ruth's mother-in-law, she's hard selling her here. She's like, go back, verse 8, to your mother's house. The Lord will deal kindly. The Lord will, in other words, she's basically saying, look, it's going to go better for you if you get out now. I wonder how many of you are trying to, are hearing the voice of Naomi in your head. It's going to be better for you if you get out now. Loyalty carries a large price tag, and the temptation is to say, yeah, let me cut my losses and get moving. How many know it's going to take loyalty to walk with Jesus over the course of your life? Remember Jesus said this? It's there in your notes, Luke 14, 27. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. You can't follow Jesus if you're not willing to die to yourself. Die to your preferences. Die to what you want. For which of you, he says, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and say the next three words together, count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Jesus says, you want to follow me, it's going to cost you. You want to follow me, it's going to cost you. I'm going to ask you to do things you don't want to do. I'm going to challenge you in areas you don't want to be challenged. The preacher might say something about your lifestyle that you think is okay because the culture te keeps telling you it's fine to do it, but the preacher says it's not fine to do it according to God, and it's going to cost you, and people might not like you, and you might be ostracized by friends who used to love you, but when you follow Jesus, it's no turning back. Amen, somebody. The cross before me, the world behind me, I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. Loyalty. Loyalty. Some of you came to Christ and you thought everything would be better and it's gotten worse. Loyalty. Jesus never promised us a bed of roses. He said it would be challenging. Number two, if you're taking notes, loyalty requires large amounts of endurance. So, not only does loyalty cost us, friends, loyalty costs us continually. <laughs> There's always another price to pay to be loyal in the long run. And um, life and Christianity and marriage and raising children and pretty much anything worth doing in life will offer you several moments to quit. Such as the moment here with Ruth and Naomi. Look at what Naomi says to her. Verse 11. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that you may be, they, may come your, they may become your husbands? Turn back. She says it again, my daughters. Go your way. From too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband tonight and bear sons, would you wait for them to be grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter for me, to me for your sake, that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and they wept again. She's basically hard selling them here. She's hard selling them saying, you, you, you got to stop it. Stop following. Get, get, a, get, a, get a hold of yourself. Uh, get some perspective here. Realize that if you follow me, it might go worse for you. 
What is she doing? She's giving them a quitting point. And friends, anything worth doing in life will give you several moments along the way where you are very tempted to give up. If you haven't gotten to a point like that, you're probably not involved in anything worth doing yet. Marriage will do it. Raising kids will do it. A business venture will do it. Anything that requires faithfulness will do it. Have you reached a couple of quitting points? I know I have. Many times I've said, all right, I'm done. I'm done. I'm, I'm ready to check out. This is why the suicide epidemic is so high. People just checking out on life. They are quitting point. And I wonder how many of you just waited, just gave it time, just turned to God in prayer. God would get you past that quitting point. See, quitting points come, but they don't last. They don't. You will be given many options to quit, and you've got to push through the quitting point. Push through the quitting point. Say it with me. One, two, three. Push through the quitting point. Say it again. Push through the quitting point. Expect those points to come and push through. One of my favorite preachers is named Tommy Barnett, the pastor of 50 years, married for 70 years. I mean, this guy faithful. He preaches a great message called What to Do When You Want to Quit. I love this message. And one of the points are, is this. One of the points is this. When you want to quit, be thankful that you have something to quit. Oh, that's good. See, because the moment that you quit, guess what? You no longer have what you had to quit. Some people who are married need to hear that. You're in a relationship, you're not sure where it's going, maybe it's not going to lead to marriage, and you're thinking, maybe I should just quit. And wait, 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 wait. The moment that you quit, you no longer have that thing that you could have quit. And then he finishes the message by saying, don't quit. <laughs> like, be thankful. And, and I think once, you're st- when you, once you start being thankful about the fact that you have something to quit, you won't quit because now you see, see oh my gosh, I have something here. I have something here. Have you, has anybody ever seen the movie, The Story of Us? The Story of Us about a couple who is thinking about divorce and, you know, accusing each other of adultery. It's hard to watch because they're just screaming at each other the whole movie. And at the end of the movie, she who wanted to quit the marriage finally wakes up. They pick their kids up at camp and, and, and she wakes up to the reality that, that, that all that she has in her brain, all the memories, all the ups, the downs, the hardships and the good times, everything that she felt and had in her soul was because of this marriage. And she breaks down in tears and she tells her husband, all that I am is because of us. How can I give up right now? Sometimes that's what you got to tell yourself whatever you're going through. Don't quit in the quitting points. Push past the quitting points. Naomi pushes past, I mean, Ruth pushes past Naomi's quitting point. And, and you've got to know this, Christians, Christians now, listen, Christians, There's going to be many quitting points in following Christ. If you haven't had a quitting point in following Christ, it's because you got saved last week. Give it time. Your new life in Christ is absolutely wonderful, but sometimes, how many know our minds can mess with us and the devil can tempt us and tell us, go back to your old life. This ain't working for you. How many people I've seen go through these waters of baptism, and they come through the waters of baptism, they post it on Facebook, they say, yay, me, and then they never come back again. What happened? 
It's not a one and done deal. It's not something to post on your Facebook. It's not something to just celebrate you. It's about life, letting your old life die with Christ and receiving new life in Christ. And yes, sometimes you'll be more challenged after Christ than you were before Christ. But the difference is now you have Christ in you. The hope of glory. Have, have, you, have you read about the end times? Because they're not good. Like, we look at our world, we say, what is going on? What is going on? Jesus told us this was going to happen. Have you read your Bible? Matthew 24, he tells us. Kingdom against kingdom. Nation against nation. And actually, the word nation in Greek is ethnos, from which we get the word ethnicity. Ethnicity against ethnicity. 2,000 years ago, Jesus said this. It's still happening still to this day. In one country under God. Still happening right here. Right? Ethnicity against ethnicity. And he says, wars and rumors of wars. North Korea. It's all going to happen. This is what's going to happen toward the end. You say, I don't understand what's going on with the world. Jesus told us to expect it. And then he says, in Matthew 24, he says it there under your notes. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. Disloyalty will abound. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because, of, because lawlessness, in other words, sinfulness, will be increased, the love of many Christians will grow cold. And the next verse, but the one who, say it, endures to the end will be saved. Loyalty requires large amounts of endurance. Hebrews 10, 36 Patient endurance is what you need now so that you can do God's will. Then you will receive what God has promised. Hebrews 12, 1. Let us run with, what's the word, everybody? Endurance. The Christian life requires endurance to stay the course even when it's difficult and life gives you quitting points. I remember when I was in college and I ran cross country. I affectionately call it the worst three months of my life. I hated it. But we had a team of people that forced you to run further than you could on your own. I've never run as well since I was on that team. I only lasted one season. I couldn't take it anymore. <laughs> but I remember that I would get to these meets, and I was like the second slowest person on my team. I really was. And uh, the guy who was slower than me had a broken leg all season, so that tells you a lot. Uh, that's not a joke. <laughs> I was terrible. And the guy right ahead of me, his name was Ben, little Ben, like little five-foot Ben, I remember. And he would, every once in a while, he would check on me as he was running up ahead of me. And at one meet, I remember I came around this bend. And I just looked at the bend. It was like this foresty area. And I came around the foresty area. It opened up to this enormous rock hill that was like literally like that. And I just looked at it and I was like, Ugh. <laughs> I just stopped running and I just went, no. And Ben was at the top of the hill and he looked back at me and he said, Tim, run! Like just like that. I'm like, okay, okay, ah, ah, like little five-foot Ben, like intimidates me to run up this rocky hill. I had nothing left, and it's just, just his little, just run. Just, that was just enough to get me over the hump of that quitting point. 
Friends, this is why you need Christian fellowship and brothers and sisters in a small group here at Waters Church because at some point you're going to come around the bend and there's going to be a huge hill and you're going to want to give up and you need a brother up at the top of the hill saying, run, don't walk, come on, it's worth it, let's keep going together. You got some people who will push with you through the race that sometimes takes a ton of endurance. You need it. Ruth chooses loyalty. And I have, I, I have this premonition that if Ruth does not go with Naomi, we never hear about Naomi. Ruth changes her life and Naomi's life. And our lives too. And lastly on your notes, point three, is loyalty eventually pays off large. It pays off. So there's a passage there on your notes that seems out of place, but it, it matters greatly. Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy of Jesus, the genealogical record of his ancestry goes back all the way to Abraham, but down through the list, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and down through the list, what do we see right here in verse 5? And Salmon, the father of Boaz, by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by who? Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king. If there is no Ruth, there is no David. If there is no David, there is no Jesus. If there is no Jesus, there is no us. How did we get here? Because a little girl from a little town was loyal. A little loyalty can go a long way. If you're taking notes, write it down. Loyalty seems little but pays off a lot. It seems little. In our culture, it seems little. But it pays off large. And I got a question for you because this message is not just try to be better. This message is not be more like Ruth. Here's the question I got for you. Am I more like Ruth? Or am I more like Naomi? And I had this thought that I would love to say I'm, lot, I'm a lot like Ruth, but if I was to be truly honest with you people, I'm, I got my, Na my Naomi moments. Did you, did you see how Naomi kind of made all the wrong choices and then ended up with her horrible situation, and then she kind of blamed God? The Lord has dealt bitterly with me. Like she had nothing. I, I'm a lot like that. Some, anybody with me on this? Like I do the opposite of what God wants me to do. And then sometimes I get mad at God. I wish I was more like Naomi, Ruth, but I'm a lot like Naomi. So are you. So are we all. And the message of Ruth chapter 1 is not only just try to be more loyal. The message of Ruth chapter 1 is you are Naomi. And there's a true and better Ruth who came to be with you and stay loyal no matter what you did. I want to take you back to what she says. Remember what she says? What does she say to Naomi? She says, look, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. Now let me ask you a question. Who came to where we were? Who lived where we lived? Who died where we died? And who was buried where we are buried? Jesus. Jesus is our true and better Ruth. He is our true, loyal friend. That in your Naomi moments, he stays loyal.
And he told me to tell many of you, stop chasing the good life and the better opportunities and yield your heart to him, your true, loyal friend.